views expressed on this program are not necessarily those of WTJX, board staff, or underwriters. Good day. My name is Archie Jennings for Ability Radio, a show in which we, as a Disability Rights Center of the Virgin Island and a protection advocacy agency, give the community information on the legal aspects of certain issues within our community. And we have a very important um, lead organization that's working in, in the Virgin Islands on behalf of Virgin Islanders, led by Maria Morris, who's a, an attorney with the American Civil Liberties Union. Good morning, good afternoon, good day, Maria. Hello, nice and to be with how, you. And how are you and where are you? Uh, I am just outside of Washington, D.C. right now, and um, I am doing very well. Thank you. And could you explain, first of all, who what, you know, who is ACLU and explain some of its origins? The ACLU is the American Civil Liberties Union. It is a nationwide organization fighting uh, for the civil liberties of people throughout the country. Um, it has been around for over 100 years. Uh, there are affiliate organizations in every state and in several territories, including in, um, in several territories. And we work on a wide variety of issues. I think what the ACLU is most known for is um, working on First Amendment rights, rights to have free speech, free association. Uh, but we also work on many different issues, including gender equality, uh, disability rights, voting rights, just a host of host of issues. Uh, but importantly, for the particular topic that we're going to be talking about today, we have a program called the National Prison Project. Uh, which is where I work, and we work on behalf of people who are incarcerated in jails, prisons, and immigration detention centers throughout the country. And you work on a variety of topics. I, my first uh, information or awareness of ACLU came through a movie, Inherit the Wind, where a character uh, who was an attorney, Clarence Darrow, was highlighted uh, with regard to the Scopes Monkey Trial. And I don't remember, it was the 30s or 40s. And I always associated that movie with ACLU and the drama that was brought to, to the attention um, around the issue of evolution and, and the issues concerning what parents and you know, we're at that same point today are want their children to learn and as you mentioned in the virgin islands there is a prison system we had talked about it while you were here last time what prompted the aclu to start the case with regard to i right now see jail that aclu uh is in litigation with over the with the government of the Virgin Islands? This actually started long before I was um, involved with the ACLU. Um, this particular case that we have against the jail started in 1994. Um, 
which is long before I went to law school. Uh, and I don't believe the ACLU was involved at the outset, but we became involved shortly after the outset. Um, and we have been involved since, I think, the late 90s or early 2000s, um, working to try to bring the jail into compliance with a settlement agreement that is intended to make sure it is meeting all the requirements of the U.S. Constitution. Um, there was a settlement back in the early 90s and then another settlement in 2014 um, that basically said, let's, let's start again, let's try to get this going and let's try to get um, movement toward compliance with the constitution. And the case is a very broad case. Um, it looks at medical care and mental health care, uh, the adequacy of nutrition, um, fire safety, classification issues, which are issues basically about how the jail looks at each person and it determines how um, how much security each person requires. Um, and then also just uh, issues around, you know, are they keeping all of the doors locked? Are people getting adequate hygiene supplies? Are people getting, you know, adequate um, recreation? All of the various things that need to be happening when someone is locked up to treat them with basic dignity and to not violate their constitutional rights. So we've been working on it um, for over 20 years and we are hoping to start moving things forward to get to a better place. Now, since you've been on board as the, uh, are you the lead counsel or co-counsel with other members of the ACLU? So there's two attorneys um, from the ACLU National Prison Project that we work on this case together. Uh, we also have a law firm that is working with us, Nelson Mullins, uh, with two attorneys there and uh, your organization as well. And uh, I think we're equally matched by the, who the government's presented as a, a law firm uh, of recent and you've had prior contact with this law firm that's representing the government? Yes, the, the government has hired a private law firm. Uh, it's called Butler Snow. And they have experience representing prisons and jails in a number of different states. Um, they're representing the territory both in this case and in another case that is essentially the same. It's It's been around for about as long um, regarding the jail. Uh, not, I'm oh. sorry, not the jail, the prison um, in the territory. Uh, and they are known as very active litigators. Um, but for the moment, we are all trying to work together to bring 
to bring things to a better um, situation in the jail. Okay. Yeah, the, that would be the prison over in uh, St. Croix, Golden Grove. Correct. Um, and the U.S. Attorney's Office had made that. I think they started that case in 1986. Yes, that sounds right. Recall correctly. So it's been a long, tough, drawn out battle, in in other words. Yes. They are two very, very old cases. (laughs) Longer than the Peloponnesian War. (laughs) (laughs) Seemed like centuries when you read about it. But one of the aspects of the case, of course, what you mentioned is the mental health services, which is a struggle outside of the prison and jail system, as well as inside. What can you tell us as to any uh, accomplishments or movement with regard to uh, services, making those services available to the prisoners? So I, I can't say a lot yet. Um, what where we are right now in the case is that during COVID, during the whole COVID pandemic period, it was very difficult for anyone to really get much insight into what was happening in the jail. Um, and early this summer, uh, a couple months ago, we, the, the, I'm going to step back a sec. The court has appointed five monitors. So these are people who are experts in their fields, uh, who are supposed to look at what is happening in the jail, uh, in their particular realm, and um, then write a report, and then we will all regroup and try to figure out how to move forward on the issues that they identify as being the most urgent um, in order to get to constitutional compliance. So we're at the period right now where the experts have come in and they've looked around and they're now writing their reports. So we don't have their statements of what the situation is right now and what needs to happen right away. Um, What we can say is that there is very little mental health staff for the needs of the jail. Um, Jails and prisons generally have a much higher rate of mental health needs than you're going to find in the community. And it's very clear that in the community, there's a lot of mental health needs that are going unaddressed in the community itself. And then that becomes worse once you get into the jail. One thing you can explain to the community is um, I have practiced in in Ohio before I came to the Virgin Islands and uh, in law school in Colorado, the separation of prisoners, because we have one facility and generally speaking, there's usually a municipal or a county jail before you get to a state prison where there's many more uh, professional criminals. And then there's a federal prison. And unfortunately, if someone's picked up on a minor issue here in Virgin Islands, they may end up in a location where a much more advanced criminal 
um, is also situated and housed with them. Is there, what are the steps being taken to separate minor, you know, what I would say temporary jail holders from the hardened criminals? So as a, as sort of as a baseline starting point, um, in general, the distinction between a, the jail and the prison is that people who are pretrial um, are going to be in the jail. And then if you have been convicted, if it's only a short sentence, you might stay in the jail. But if it's a longer sentence, you would get transferred to the prison as a general matter. Um, there are some variations on that in the Virgin Islands, just because of sometimes needing to keep people separated from each other um, or because of some need that it's been decided that a person has that results in them having to be on the other island. Um, but as a general matter, that's the way the division is made. Um, one of the issues that is a subject of our case is classification. And that's precisely what that is about. Um, wanting to try to keep the people who are, you know, nonviolent, petty offenders in, you know, separated from people who are you know, accused of murder or rape or something much more violent. Um, but classification is more than just what you're accused of. It's also, it also takes into account uh, various factors about your life and also your age, just because younger people tend to be more, tend to be less manageable than older people. <laughs> um, so one of the things that we are looking forward to is uh, having a more robust classification policy that will be drafted together with the expert monitor on classification. Um, and the, the monitor on classification in this case is um, the, the premier classification expert in the country for prisons and jails. Um, and he will be working with the territory to develop policies and practices to keep people who should be separated from each other separated and think through. Um, one of the other things that he's going to be working with them on is um, having a better understanding of what an appropriate size of the jail is. Um, because as it is, there are a lot of people who are in the jail who stay there for a very long time pre-trial. Um, while we were there for our, uh, for the monitoring tours earlier in the summer, someone was transferred from the jail to the mainland US um, for mental health care, but he had been in the jail pre-trial for over a decade. Uh, so having people, sitting in the jail for that long 
is an injustice in itself. Um, you know, you haven't decided, like no one has decided that this person is guilty and yet they've spent 10 years in jail. Yes, that's a, to underscore that point, uh, it's not only for those with mental illness, but our concern with those with intellectual disabilities that yes. may have learning disabilities and end up in a, a situation where they're less than 25, uh, can't really articulate uh, or protect themselves from from others, and they're in jails with hard, hardened criminals. So they're also a vulnerable population, more so in a jail scenario. And does the classification also cover the those with intellectual disabilities as well as mental? So um, classification covers everyone. It's okay. it is the system for determining who should be kept away from whom and how people should be, um, how each person should be thought of in terms of what what dangers they pose and what vulnerabilities they have. And so it's it's the general system for everyone. And so if, for example, a person had an intellectual disability, that would be incorporated into their classification, as would someone who had a physical disability that could also be, um, but also past history of criminal conduct would also be incorporated into that whole classification system. So all of the all of the circumstances of a person that increase either their likelihood of being dangerous to others, their likelihood of escape, or their likelihood of being victimized, all of those things get um, rolled into the classification question. Thank you. Thank you. One of the other aspects of the system, I don't know uh, how far we can go into that is uh, with regard to their citizenship status as, and uh, a question came up to me is whether or not they get to vote once uh, they're in jail and things of that nature, which I believe are determined by the legislation existing here in the Virgins, but has that come up as an issue? We have not heard about that. Um, it would be determined by the legislature, like legislature in the Virgin Islands. Um, I know that in the mainland U.S., uh, different states have different laws about it, um, and it could be anywhere from you never lose your right to vote to uh, you lose your right to vote while you're locked up or while you're locked up and after having been convicted or forever there it's a whole gamut but i don't know what the particulars in the virgin island are okay just to do a restart how does aclu pick what cases or issues it should go forward on because you're you're um regulated by a board of directors. Is that not correct? The organizations? Uh, we, we do have a board of directors. 
um, they don't generally get into the question of which specific cases each program takes. Um, as far as the National Prison Project, which is where I work, uh, as far as we go, we have um, a strategic plan uh, where we've identified certain subject matters within um, incarceration, uh, looking to decrease mass incarceration um, and looking to decrease the use of solitary confinement and um, improve the uh, improve the conditions of people who are incarcerated. Those are our general areas that we look at. Within those areas, we find cases in a few different ways. Sometimes uh, a, a state affiliate, ACLU, or some other nonprofit organization will come to us and say, these are the things that are happening in our jail or prison. Um, and, and they will get us involved in working with them, either helping them develop a case or developing a case together. Uh, sometimes we'll be looking at information We'll be, we'll be looking for types of cases to a, a particular type of a case to bring, and we'll look for states or jails or prisons that have a, that have, uh, a particular problem that we are looking to address. Um, and then we'll try to see if we can bring a case based on our sort of self-initiated investigation. So it could either of those could happen. And who has input on this selection? Is it the, um, just the staff, legal counsel? It is, we, we don't have a large staff. We are, I believe, about 13 people. Um, and we all make the decision to collectively. We have a, each, each time someone wants to bring a case, uh, they write up a description of what that case would be um, and the reasons for bringing it and what resources they would expect it to take. Um, and then the staff discusses it and basically votes on it. And I'm sure you get a lot of uh, requests from various prisons, because I know some very savvy uh, <laughs> jailhouse attorneys, lawyers <laughs> throughout the years who uh, could write their own, you know, complaint up and file it themselves if, but for their, you know, lack of a law license. I will say it's fairly unusual that that is the way a case gets started, um, in part because there, we, because we, we do impact litigation, which means that we are looking to change an entire system, you know, whether, whether it's um, the entire medical system of a state or it is the way that uh, solitary confinement is being done at one particular prison. We're looking not to 
not to solve the problem of a single individual, but of all of the individuals within that jail or prison or state. And just by the nature of being locked up, people tend to have um, a very limited ability to see how, like, how broad a particular problem is. Right. Um, so people can write to us, for example, about a healthcare problem that they had. But what we would want to see is, are there a lot of people in that particular prison or jail having a health, having a similar type of healthcare problem? What's the next step in the particular case in the Virgin Islands? You now have the experts and they're writing up the reports. What would be the next step? Uh, so the next step proceed? will be that they'll write their reports and the territory and the plaintiffs, which are the um, people who are incarcerated and the lawyers working for them, we will all respond to the experts' reports um, based on what we saw during the monitoring tours. And then in uh, probably in February, the court will hold um, a status conference and we will decide what is the best way to move forward. Um, in recent years, uh, right before COVID, the court was having a hearing essentially every um, three months to talk about progress. Uh, it's possible we'll go back to something like that or the, the court might say they want to have expert reports every, uh, every six months with a hearing every three months after every report, something like that. So basically we need to come back together and find a way to move forward in a sensible way that keeps the pressure on for the territory to keep improving the conditions. Okay. Well, Maria, we're coming to close right now. And, and as those reports come out, hopefully we can share it with the community and get some community feedback. But thank you for taking the time to share your information with the community. So when people see things in the newspaper, Daily News, Avis, or The Source, they'll have a better understanding of who ACLU is and what they're doing within the Virgin Islands community. Thank you so much for having me and for having this uh, wonderful show and raising these issues. Again, th thank you. And I think that's it for Ability Radio. Join us next time. And hopefully we'll have Maria... Give, come back with great news, the court uh, saying that the issue was resolved, that they follow the, the um, consent decrees that they've agreed to, to follow I over these years. <laughs> we all do. Thank you again, Maria. Thank you. Bye-bye. The views expressed on this program are not necessarily those of WTJX, its board, staff, or underwriters.